Well, good morning, trans. Wow, let there be sound. Let's go. <laughs> Who needs fireworks when you got that? Uh, happy Independence Day. How's everyone doing today? We good? Good, good. Awesome. Uh, kids will be in the service today. So the leadership decided to uh, entertain the kids is that if you look under your seats, we've provided lighters and sparklers for all the kids <laughs> present. If you're ever bored during the service, feel free to light those up. Okay, just kidding. Obviously, don't do that. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new here, we go through books of the Bible at the Transit Church and uh, from the pulpit. And uh, we've been going through Acts since February. And where we find ourselves today is we are in Acts chapter 7, uh, verse, uh, starting at verse 54, and we're going to end at chapter 8, verse 4. So open up your Bibles, turn to Acts 7, be looking at verse 54 to 84. And uh, to give you a context of where we're at in Acts 7, if you were here last week, you know that we were looking at this man, Stephen, and his trial before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin war were the, the 71 kind of religious, political rulers in Jerusalem. And this man, Stephen, a follower of Jesus, a man full of the Holy Spirit, was, was sharing the gospel. Salvation in Christ alone for sinners, the hope of salvation and redemption through the righteous one, Jesus. And people were coming to know Jesus in, 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 in Jerusalem through Stephen. And people were getting, says that many signs and wonders were being done at the hands of Stephen. People were getting healed of physical affliction and set free from demonic affliction. And the religious elite didn't like that at all. And so they arrest Stephen. They raise up false witnesses. He's on trial. We saw this last week. And the accusations that came against Stephen were this, essentially that he was blaspheming the holy law and the holy temple that he was kind of trashing the, the temple in Jerusalem, the place, and the principles, the, the customs of Moses, because he's, he's, apparently the witnesses were saying that he said that Jesus Christ said that he would tear down the temple. And so all that we looked at last week was essentially Stephen's response. 53 verses, if you were here last week, you know, uh, they hand Stephen the mic, which was a big mistake, and Stephen just goes off, and he just tells the entire Old Testament narrative. And when he looks at the Old Testament scriptures, he takes the Sanhedrin back to their common ground. And he's saying, I want you guys to watch the replay because you misinterpreted some things. And he places the Sanhedrin in the narrative of the Old Testament scriptures as the children of Israel. Not the heroes, but the ch children of Israel who continually reject God. They turn their backs on God, a God who is covenantly faithful to his people, a God of steadfast love throughout the generations to his people, a God of covenant, a God who keeps his vows and his promises. And a God who steadfastly pursued the backs of his people. And what, what Stephen was telling the Sanhedrin was, your backs have been turned to the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what he, we looked at last week was this whole religious idolatry where the people of God can love the place, kind of the building. We can love the principles, the rules, more than we actually love the person, the person of Jesus, and completely miss the entire purpose of our redemption, which is relationship that you and I were redeemed by Christ Jesus to dwell with him forever. That is the point of relationship. That is the point of redemption is for that relationship, that abiding, that walk with Jesus, because where humanity is, that's where God wants to be. So he sent his son to die so that we could have life everlasting in him. So Stephen, at the end of his sermon last week, takes up the yellow flag of foul, of blasphemy and idolatry that was thrown to him, and he throws it back at the Sanhedrin. And he says, you all are the pagan idolaters. You're bowing down and worshiping this brick and mortar building. Uh, you're stiff-necked and you're resisting the Holy Spirit, the person of God, his spirit. And, uh, and you've rejected and murdered the righteous one. You who think you uphold the law and you're guardians of the law, you've transgressed the law and you've murdered, murdered an innocent man. You crucified Christ. Crucified Christ. Okay, so that's 
where we left off last week was the, was the sound of the mic drop, like boom, okay? Like Stephen does his thing, drops the mic, and then where we're at today is what happens after the mic drop. And what we're gonna see is the way the Sanhedrin and the crowd that was observing the trial responded was yet again the children of Israel murder an innocent man. And we see that Stephen gives his life for the truth of the gospel. And I love this quote. We, we learn of one of the first martyrs in the Christian faith. And I love this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a brother in Christ who gave his life for Christ during World War II. And he says, this is a quote he has in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, where he says this, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death, and we give over our lives to death. Thus it, thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it, be, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And I love this last line. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. And so the title of my talk this morning is Life Through Death. That's how life comes to us, is through the death of Jesus, who when he bids and calls us to follow him, he says, now you live for me. You die to all the other attachments of this world, and you receive that which is of first importance, of most, of most valuable importance, Jesus himself and following him. And so then the refrain of our lives, what we see with Stephen in our text is this, is that Stephen gave his yes to Jesus to follow him no matter the cost, he lost his eternal life, but he gained, he lost his, his earthly life, but following Jesus gained eternal life, not only for himself, but what we're going to see is for countless others after him. So then the refrain of our lives as Christians becomes this, and then we're going to pray and dive in, is that Christ Jesus died so that I might live, so now I die so that others might live. That's the refrain of the Christian. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Christ Jesus died so that I may have life and life everlasting. So now I live a life of costly self-sacrifice for the glory of God and the good of others so that they might experience the life that I found in Jesus as well. Okay, so we got a lot, to, a lot of ground to cover today. It's going to be uh, great seeing what God has in store for us in his word, but let's pray and then we're going to go through this verse by verse. So Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just come before you humbly full of gratitude, full of grace, full of thanksgiving, Lord God, full of thanksgiving for your grace, God. Thank you today that we're not under judgment, but we're under your grace and your kindness and your mercy. We worship you. You've redeemed us to know you. Where we be is where you want to be, Lord God. Where we are is where you want to be, and where you are is where we want to be, Lord God. So we come before you grateful. Thank you for the freedom that you've given us in the gift of your son, Jesus, crucified in our place, forgiveness of our sins, redemption from the kingdom of darkness, saved from the kingdom of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of light, with the grave no longer haunting us, but just a doorway to life everlasting with you. So we worship you, we exalt you, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come and you'd give us eyes to see Jesus rightly, to see where he's seated, Lord Jesus, Bring conviction, Holy Spirit, where there needs to be conviction and bring repentance, Lord God. We want nothing more than for you to be glorified this morning and glorified in our lives, Lord God. And so we open up our hearts to you and surrender, and we say any place in our hearts where you don't have our yes, Jesus, but you have our no, would you come, Holy Spirit, and reveal that so that we can turn that into a yes, 
Because when we die to ourselves, we actually find what our hearts have been searching for. And we give our yes to you, Jesus. So bring that about, Holy Spirit. We pray and we pray that you magnify Jesus, that he would increase and that I would decrease up here. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, verse 54. The mic drops. Stephen uh, finishes his sermon. And this is what happens. This is the response. Verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, the Sanhedrin heard what Stephen said. They were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Okay? So this is the response of the Sanhedrin. Okay? They're not tearing up and really moved by Stephen's, like, how to win friends and influence people sermon. Right? They're not saying, hey, Stephen, can we get one of those connection cards to to get plugged into your community? That was just such a sweet message. That's not what happened here, right? What the Sanhedrin had was seething anger with what Stephen said, to the point point that Luke says they were grinding their teeth, okay? You want to know what, you don't know what the the spectrum of anger grinding your teeth is? It's when someone cuts you off in traffic and your hands are on the steering wheel and you just, you tense up, right? Anyone here been that angry before? Yes, if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just grinding your teeth. Ah, it's, like, it's like a soda bottle that's been just shaken up. And the, the cap hasn't like exploded yet, but it's like all it takes is a little boop and the whole thing will explode, right? That's where the Sanhedrin is at. And the reason they're so enraged, there's obviously a lot of reasons, but I think primarily it's this. is because simply put, the Holy Spirit through Stephen, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, what he did to the Sanhedrin was he exposed their hearts to everyone that was there, to the other Sanhedrin, to the to the uh, to the to the crowd that was there. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, this is the best gift that the Holy Spirit can do is bring, is bring revelation of, of, of sin in our hearts. And that's what uh, the Holy Spirit did in Stephen's sermon was these men, these 71, they, they, these men, they prided themselves. They were self-righteous. They're self-righteous. They prided themselves on their righteousness before God. They're, they, they, they prided themselves on their temple attendance and their law memorization. And uh, the indictment that the Holy Spirit said, exposing their hearts, was, listen, the covenant, the, the covenant symbol, you're uncircumcised in your heart, it hasn't made it from the external to the internal. Your hearts are a million miles away from actually loving God, okay? You're idolaters. You actually do not love God. You just love the principles and the place, but you do not love the person. And so the Holy Spirit came and brought that revelation, and their hearts were laid bare. And the reason this is a beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit is because when the Holy Spirit comes, John 16, to convict the world of sin— uh, listen, that revelation brings about salvation, right? That's one of the most beautiful gifts the Holy Spirit can bring to an individual is a revelation of their deep need for Jesus, their deep need for forgiveness, their deep need for reconciliation between God. So God awakens that. We're often completely blind to it until the Lord himself awakens us to that so that we can run to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and then also convinces us of Jesus Christ as the cure, Right, So often we need, often this is our salvation story, of we heard the gospel preached, we were cut to the core, and there's two responses when the Holy Spirit comes and, and unveils the darkness of our hearts and our need for forgiveness. Is we can either open up our hands and receive the free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus, all purchased through his death, through his resurrection. We can open up our hands and receive that, say, have mercy on me, a sinner, oh God. I give my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for me. Now I give my life to you. Or... Or we can ball up our fists and fight for our right, or fight for our own righteousness, okay? I was going to pull a Beastie Boys there for a little bit, but uh, (laughs) fight for our own righteousness, right? Like, what did you call me? A sinner? I'm not a sinner. I have nothing to repent of, right? And, And often that can be the initial reaction to the gospel. The gospel is offensive. The message of the cross is actually offensive. And so as we go about sharing our faith in love, in in compassion, 
listen, often if we're rejected for sharing our faith, we, need, we do need to check ourselves and say, are we being a jerk? Right? Like, but there's sometimes, there's sometimes when we share our faith and there's rejection we face, but it could just be because of, because of proud self-righteousness. But listen, what I'm saying is as we share this message in love, it, listen, it will save some, but it'll also enrage others. And this is what we see the Sanhedrin doing, right? And then our mantra, as we go out and we're passionate about sharing the love of Jesus, the hope that he's given to humanity, that there's salvation and there's eternal life in Christ Jesus, he's purchased it. It's a good message, but it's like essentially going up to people and saying, hey, like, you have cancer and I found a cure. I had cancer, but I found the cure. And you do. And people are saying externally, what are you talking about? And what they need is that MRI of the Holy Spirit to come upon them and show them that, wow, I am in deep need of Jesus. And that's what leads to salvation. But that message is also offensive. That's the offense of the gospel. And so then our posture becomes with this, because the pattern we see here in Acts is, is not everyone was saved. Stephen, full of the Spirit, shared the gospel, but instead of the Sanhedrin, uh, weeping and repentance, they were seething and raged. And so then our posture becomes out of love. As we have been loved, Christ has loved us, we love others. And our posture is this in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. All things to all people. By all means, my entire life oriented for the glory of Jesus and the love of others, sharing the hope of salvation that is only found in Jesus. That by all means, Paul didn't say he's going to save all, but he's going to save a, a whole lot of some. A whole lot of some, right? Right on the other end of Paul's yes was a whole lot of some. You and I today are on the other end of Paul's yes to Jesus, okay? And what we see is that Stephen's response to their rejection and their hatred was love, right? So we see that he held the truth in conviction, that, that conviction of the gospel, the righteous one, that they needed to repent and give their lives to. But also we're going to see here later on Stephen praying for the very people that are putting him Returning to our text today, the Sanhedrin are enraged as Stephen's indictment came against them, and the soda bottles have been shaken up, and Stephen, what Stephen says next in our text, is about to blow the lid off of these guys, and they're going to explode in anger, okay? So verse 55, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So right in the middle of this trial, okay, the Sanhedrin are seething in anger. Maybe fear is about to creep into Stephen's life. He gets this vision. And I think, though, I think, I think it surprises Stephen, right? Because all of a sudden, other translations, instead of behold, he goes, look, right? I think it surprises him. He's like, boom, look, I see the heavens open. The veil that, that keeps us from the seen to the unseen, the natural to the supernatural, is torn. And he's getting a present tense vision of what's taking place in the heavenly places right now. And he goes, look! He cries out, I see the Son of Man, the glory of God, standing at the right hand of the Father. Now listen, side note, if, if Nick is at that, that trial, and Stephen just cries out, look! And he's describing the glory of God and seeing Jesus. I'm running over to where Stephen is. I'm going shoulder to shoulder, right? I'm like, where do you see it, Stephen? Like, what's the proper angle? Like, give me that, those 3D glasses. Like, how do I, like, I want to see that, right? Like, we want to see, that's just me, all right? That's the kind of guy I am. I want to see that. Um, different for the crowd that was there. But what's happening in this moment, what's happening in this moment, what God the Holy Spirit in his grace to beloved Stephen is doing is he's peeling back the veil. 
from the seen to the unseen, and he's showing Stephen, listen, that this earthly court that is condemning you to death is not the only court in session right now. It's not the only court that is in session. The high priest Caiaphas is not the high priest that you need to be worried about. There's another judge, there's another advocate standing in your defense. It's beautiful, right? The, the, the heavenly court being superimposed upon the earthly court. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And the key thing we learn here, the key thing we learn here is what the Holy Spirit's revealing to Stephen is this, is all throughout the New Testament, right? And what Stephen is doing here, the, the biggest self-designation of Jesus Christ was the Son of Man. And what he's doing there is he's, he's placing himself as the fulfillment of prophecy in that Daniel 7 vision that Joe just talked about of the Son of Man being presented to the Ancient of Days and being seated, reigning and ruling over and above all things, okay? And he says, I see the Son of Man. And throughout the New Testament scriptures, we, we see Jesus described as seated, right? As he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he sat on his rightful place, King of kings and Lord of lords, that every knee will bow to, right? That he is Lord. And now he's commissioned his church to go reclaim his rightful, his, his rightful footstool, the earth, for his glory, okay? On the hearts of humanity. And so what we learn here, key thing, is Stephen, the Holy Spirit, reveals that, listen, the Son of Man has left his chair, Stephen. The Son of Man is standing. He's standing, Stephen. He's no longer seated. And, what the, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things there with that, but I think three things we see with that, because we don't want to read into it, but for sure, for sure, what we see is Stephen's about to get martyred, the earthly court is gathered, and we see the judge of the living and the dead, the, the son of man himself, rising up out of his chair, standing now as the advocate for Stephen, saying, Stephen, even though this earthly court condemns you, I, your advocate, stand in your defense, and you need to hear, yes, my advocacy for you, and yes, my applause I'm standing, job well done, my good and faithful servant. You have fought the good fight of faith. You have fought the good fight of faith. I'm your advocate. I stand in your defense when humanity condemns you, right? And I applaud you for your faithfulness to the end. And then the third thing we see is Jesus Christ. Uh, moments, in moments, Stephen's gonna be martyred. Jesus Christ standing on the finish line with open arms saying, essentially, Stephen, I'm going to see you soon, and I'm going to accept you into my embrace. Keep going. Keep running. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. The blows will come, but keep your eyes fixed on me, because soon and very soon, we will embrace, and the, the race will be over. Keep running. Stay faithful. Endure, right? It's beautiful. The Son of Man has done left his chair for Stephen, and that's the vision he gets. He's not seated. He's standing. Where do you see Jesus in your life? What posture as a believer do you believe that Jesus has for you, right? Standing, cheering you on, applauding you. Listen, the implications of what Stephen sees here changes absolutely everything. Changes absolutely everything. It's so imperative for us, listen church, to daily get past what is seen and the natural and fix our eyes on Jesus and where he's seated and what his posture is towards us. Because the three things we see here is that if Jesus Christ is standing in our defense as our advocate, that means that we don't have to ball up our fists and fight back, right? The reason Stephen is able to lay down his life and as he's dying, pray a blessing upon the people that are putting him to death is because he knows that Jesus Christ is standing as his advocate, that he's not the judge, that Jesus is the judge. And he's praying forgiveness. And so that's why believers, we can pray for our enemies and bless those who persecute us. 
because we know that, hey, the vengeance is not up to us, that there is a judge, I'm not the judge, and I see Jesus standing on my defense. Where others condemn me, he is, he is accepting me. The second thing we need to live for is the applause of Jesus, which means this is that we don't live our lives for human praise. At this point in Stephen's life, where everyone is angry, the Sanhedrin is angry, it would have been really easy for him to throw in the towel and stop being faithful to Jesus and just do what they said. Yeah, I'm not following Jesus anymore. I'll change the language. I'll stop preaching the gospel. I'll stop praying for people in public. I'll just change my life. It would have been really easy for him to live for the applause of human praise. And instead, he lives for the applause of Christ. And for those of us that grew up, play, anyone here grew up playing sports as a kid, right? I did, grew up playing hockey. And uh, you know this, so I can share this. Uh, every kid knows this if you've grown up playing sports. If you, if you like scored a goal or had an assist or really good play, and you're going back to the bench, you always kind of try to sneak a peek to the bet to the, you know, to the stands, right? And you're trying to make eye contact, like, hey, did my pop see that? Did my pop see that? But you can't, you can't look too much because you don't want your boys to like make fun of you. Be like, oh, you're trying to see if your mom, you know, whatever. And uh, but listen, in that moment, in, in the game of life, often we live our lives for the applause of people that don't matter, right? Like you know as well as I do, growing up playing sports, you didn't care what anyone else in the stands thought. You just wondered, were my, was my pops there? Was my mom there? Did they see? Were they cheering me on? And then that moment comes when you lock eyes and you see him standing and applauding and cheering you on. Man, it wells you up to fight. What if that's Jesus' posture towards you? Right? To that mom who hasn't had a night of sleep, full night of sleep in 10 years, is changing 15 diapers, you know, in two hours, and is up at 3 a.m. with a crying baby. What if Jesus is saying, standing, saying, job well done, my good and faithful servant. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. I'm so proud of the sacrifices you're making for your kids. What if that's Christ's posture towards you? And then two, what we're going to look at, conclude with this, his acceptance of us, that he is the author and the finisher of our faith, means that yes, he's running with us, cheering us on, and he's also waiting for us when we transition from this life to the next, cheering us on, calling us home. So Jesus, what we see here is the Son of Man has left his chair. Uh, he's standing in Stephen's defense because this is what happens next. This vision ignited the mob into a fury because what Stephen is doing here is he's claiming that Jesus was the Son of Man foretold of in Daniel 7, and that was considered blasphemy. So this is what happens next. Verse 57, but they cried out. Now it's just, just a crazy mob. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So here's the progression we see is the crowd goes crazy after what Stephen blurts out about the vision he saw. And the crowd violently drags Stephen to the outskirts of the city. They find the place of execution. And then they lay their cloaks at the feet of this man, Saul. Um, what we see here is that Saul was connected to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are no longer in the picture, but Saul was a direct uh, kind of disciple follower of Gamaliel, who is part of the Sanhedrin. And now the Sanhedrin are having this mob, which is led by Saul, do their dirty work. They're having proxies execute this man uh, unlawfully, unlawfully, okay? And so we see that they're laying down their cloaks at Saul, the leader, like, hey, you approve of this, right? And what they're doing when they're laying down, it's not just getting approval from the proxy of the Sanhedrin. What it also is, is they're taking off their jackets. Why? So they can throw faster and throw harder. That's what they're doing. That's how much rage and vitriol that this crowd 
pass. So they violently drag Stephen, an innocent man, to the outskirts of the city. And the execution begins. And it's the, the progression is this. It starts with Stephen. It says he's standing. And man just starts taking the hits. Boom, boom. And he, he prays the prayer that Jesus prayed. Lord, Lord, receive my spirit, knowing. I mean, imagine this moment for Stephen. Put yourself in the shoes, knowing that his time was soon. And he's asking, Lord, receive my spirit as the blows come. And he can't stand any longer. He falls to his knees. We see that progression. He falls to his knees. And when he's on his knees, he cries out in a loud voice. What were his final words? What were his final words? He had the honor, Stephen had the honor of sharing the same final words of Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, can you imagine this? Imagine, this is, ins- this is the biggest, this is the, the, the insanity of our text today. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. On his knees, getting pelted, Lord cries out with a loud voice. Lord, forgive them. Save them. Bless them. Praying a blessing and salvation upon his executioners. This is what N.T. Wright says. If we knew nothing about Christianity except the fact that it's martyrs, those who would give their life for Jesus, call down blessing and forgiveness rather than cursing and judgment on their torturers and executioners, we would have a central, though no doubt puzzling, insight into the whole business. We would have a central insight into the whole business. If you had nothing to go on, no scriptures, no philosophical arguments, no, all you had was the testimony of martyrs praying blessing upon their tortures. What N.T. Wright says, if you just had that, you would have a central insight into the entire ordeal of Christianity, the entire business of Christianity. Because listen, at the apex, at the very center of our Christian faith is a crucified Savior, an innocent man, praying forgiveness upon the very people that are putting him to death. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And the only way, Christian, that this love is possible is when we truly understand the gospel and the heart of Christ. For God so loved the world that he he would send his son and the world would crucify him. Knowingly sent his son to the world And so when we've been saved through Christ's death for us, church, when we've been saved through his death for us, then the story of our lives is this, is I haven't been given what I deserve, God's grace. And so everybody else, my prayer for everyone else, whether you're my bro, my homie, or my enemy, now Lord, give them what they don't deserve, grace, forgiveness, love, reconciliation to the Father. That's the gospel. That's what Stephen is praying here. That's how close he is to the heart of Christ. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Flooded with compassion for his executioners. And there's a lot that's going on here and a lot that we can say in regards to what Stephen's doing, but what Stephen is doing in its simplest form, we just just state it simply, what Stephen is doing here is he's following Jesus. That's what Stephen is doing. He's following in the nail-scarred feet of Jesus, praying and loving and preaching the gospel and dying for people who would reject him, right? It's beautiful. This is the gospel. It's beautiful. He's doing for them what Jesus Christ had did for him. Uh, Moving on, starting verse one, chapter eight. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, 
And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so we see here is at face value, Stephen's death kind of looks like a meaningless tragedy, if not a failure. Because at face value, when we just focus on the natural, we just focus on the scene realm, one, we see a tragedy of an innocent man, Stephen, loses his life. And there's great mourning in the church. Parents lost the son. Siblings lost the brother. The church lost a giant in the faith. Great mourning over Stephen too. We see at least initially, from what we can tell, no one from the Sanhedrin got saved. Right? Stephen died, and we don't see anyone giving their lives to Jesus. We see him throwing stones. And thirdly, not only that, what we see is that great, because of Stephen's martyrdom, his death, great persecution arose against the church. So Saul was ravaging the church. Saul of Tarsus, ravaging the church like a lion hunting for prey. He got the approval of the Sanhedrin, and he's going village to village, town to town. And it says in our text, he's dragging both women and men to prison. Prison. Do they have kids? Who's watching their kids? They're now in jail, right? Indefinitely, on charges of simply being a follower of Jesus. The church is scattered. The church is ravaged. And what was once central, watch this, the central hub of the church was in Jerusalem at this point, under the kind of the, the apostolic covering. And now the church is scattered, scattered, no longer under the apostles stayed. And the church scattered to Judea, which is the surrounding region of Jerusalem, and then to Samaria. Okay, so for all intents and purposes, it looks like at this point, the church is over, right? Like book is closed, church is over, they're all scattered, the government's coming after them, uh, and, and they're all hiding, right? That's what it looks like. But listen, that's <laughs> what we know about our Savior, right? It's how he advances his kingdom often most powerfully and quickly and effectively through suffering and persecution. And so the church wasn't being scattered as, as just fearful refugees. They were being scattered as agents of redemption to Judea and Samaria. This was part of God's redemptive plan. And what we see is that, is that through Stephen's death, life came. Life came. This is the economy of the kingdom of God, is that life comes through death. In John 12, 24, Jesus says this in John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless, please listen, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses, whoever, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And so Stephen, what we learn about Stephen's death is that Stephen was a grain of wheat. That literally his body was a seed. That from standing to kneeling to falling, collapsing on the ground and dying was that grain of wheat in John 12, 24. And through his death, a great harvest has come about. Through his death, life came. Life through death. Stephen's death, this is actually what transpired through Stephen's faithfulness. Watch this. Watch this. Saul's conversion came about through Stephen. What we learn here is Saul was present. Saul was present 
at the execution of Stephen. Not only was he present, he was the one who was organizing it and approving it. And the only reason we know about Stephen's speech in this moment is because Saul, the Apostle Paul, Saul, Paul, same person, uh, uh, was, 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 was co-laboring the gospel with Luke. Luke wrote the author. Luke was the author of Acts. And we see that Luke accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys. And so, so imagine that moment. Imagine this moment where the Apostle Paul, as, as Luke sets out to write this book, this letter for, all, for, for centuries for us to have, Paul, I bet you, with tears in his eyes, is looking at Luke and saying, Luke, I held their cloaks as they stoned Stephen. As they stoned him, I held their jackets. I approved of his stoning. And, and over the sound of rocks pelting human flesh, I heard his cry, his last final breath was, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And now I'm standing in front of you today, Luke, as a man who has not had his sin held against them. Saul's conversion was birthed out of the dying, last dying breath prayer of Stephen. So before we get to Acts 9 and Jesus appearing to Saul of Tarsus on his way to persecute Christians, we need to go to Acts 7 and Stephen's last dying breath prayer that, that Paul's conversion was an answer to Stephen's prayer of blessing upon him. That's where it was birthed. That's where it was birthed. Saul's conversion, one of the most, and outside of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, one of the most influential human beings to walk the planet Earth. Wrote the majority of the New Testament, uh, gospels going to the ends of the earth through this man's ministry. So Paul's salvation and ministry was birthed out of a dying breath prayer of Stephen. Secondly, what we see through Stephen's death, through the wheat falling to the ground, is that the gospel advances. What we see, the gospel advances to Judea and Samaria. So as the church is scattered now to Judea and Samaria, what we learn in, in chapter 8, verse 4, is that now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Went about preaching the word. And what we're going to see next week in Samaria, what we see when Philip gets sent to Samaria is this, 8.8, so there was much joy in that city. For those who receive Christ, they receive the fullness of joy for all of life. That Stephen's death, the seed being sown in the ground, led to great joy and life and salvation going to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is the very beginning. This is the thesis statement of Acts. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This isn't necessarily like a command or an instruction. This is a prophetic utterance of Jesus saying, you will receive power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when that moment happens, you're not going to know how it's going to come about. But you will go to Judea. You will go to Samaria. And you will go to the ends of the earth preaching my gospel, the good news of King Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. You will do that. And watch this, the fulfillment of this prophecy was Stephen's death. His death was the spark that lit the fire to get the church out of the comfort of Jerusalem and get scattered to the ends of the earth. So you want to know how Jesus uh, uh, sovereignly planned to advance his kingdom was through persecution. Was through persecution. Was through the fire of persecution so that the fire of his spirit could go and the church could be thrusted to the mission field. It's beautiful. And then the third thing we see is not only did uh, Stephen's death bring life to Saul of Tarsus, brought life to Judea and Samaria, uh, Stephen's faithfulness to Christ, his decision to remain faithful to the end and what that ignited, it brought, it, it, it's brought eternal life to you and me, right? Not just Samaria's joy, 
but our joy today so we can have our hands raised 2,000 years later across an ocean, uh, set free from our sin, uh, have the assurance of eternal life. Uh, Our debt has been paid. The joy of knowing the living God being filled with His Spirit, hands raised in worship. Why? Because of what happened. If Stephen and the church acquiesce, if Stephen here at this moment, because he was living for the applause of man and not the applause of his Savior, the church, who's, who's to say? Obviously, God is sovereign. But let's just say, what if the church would have still been contained in Jerusalem? Just contained, a few, a few maybe 10,000 still. And you and I hopelessly lost, not knowing the, the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. But Stephen's death, his death, his, him giving his yes to Jesus brought life for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. And so what I want to encourage us with today is, do you have any idea what's on the other side of your yes to Jesus? Christian, do you have any idea? What if, um, uh, dream big with me, what if on the other side of your, of your yes, capital Y, capital E, capital S, underline, bold, 32 font, yes to Jesus. What if there's 2,000 years of kingdom advancement, life coming to generations, to generations, to generations? That's, that's what Stephen's life is a testimony to. That's what God did through his faithfulness. He died as a young man for Jesus. And what came after him was a revival. What came after him was, was, was the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And you and I are on the other side of that. What if, church? What if? And so I think today, uh, the response, I'll wrap up with this. The response today to any time we open God's word is just to repent and believe. Like that's the, that's the Christian faith is repentance and faith. Okay, so repentance looks like this. Holy Spirit, come and, come and reveal in my heart any place, any place where Jesus, you have my no. Where is it? Jesus, where do you have my no? Maybe it's, maybe it's my comfort and my safety. Like, Jesus, I feel this tug to go to over, like maybe like after I retire to go overseas to maybe dangerous areas and, and, and share the gospel. But, but do you fully have my yes there? Maybe it's, maybe it's my finances. Maybe the Lord's been putting on your heart to be more generous and to, and to, 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 to sow generously, right? What is that? So often we're blind to it. So that's what repentance is. Come, Holy Spirit, bring conviction because I don't want the death of my sin. I want the life of Christ, right? So we repent, but then also we turn from our sin. We turn. Repentance is a turn. Stop looking at our sin. Stop clinging so tightly. And often the things that we cling so tightly to often are clinging to us and holding us down in bondage. So we loosen that grip and we turn and we behold Jesus. And we look and we take him at his word when he says this, that if he, he, this is an invitation to all of us today, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you are a follower or you're not a follower of Jesus today, is listen, is everything you're holding back from me pales in comparison to what I have to offer you, right? Like the things that you're holding onto for dear life, let go of those things. It's not working for you. And abundant, everlasting, eternal life is found when you loosen the grip on that. You turn from that and you say, Jesus, I bend my knee to you. You take, the, you take the throne of my heart, the throne of my life. That is what Jesus says. So we take it in faith that Jesus says, if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you lay down your life at King Jesus, his nail-scarred feet for you, then you'll find eternal and everlasting life, okay? And I think in our text today, um, 
about five years ago, five or six years ago, and sorry if you've heard me share this illustration before, but the transit church cycles out so many times that, uh, you know, anyways, I can, I, can re, I can rehash some illustrations, all right? So about five years ago, uh, my wife and I, we did a, uh, a baby moon before our first kid was born to, uh, actually it was like six or seven years ago, anyways, uh, to Breckenridge, Colorado. Anyone been hiking on the Rockies? It's amazing, right? Yes, it's beautiful. It's incredible, okay? And so when we went out there, everyone uh, was warning us of like altitude sickness, altitude sickness, like you need to drink lots of water and you need to, you know, pace yourself. And I was like, oh, give me a break, dude, okay? Like we're not hiking Everest. We're just in Breckenridge. Like give me a break. So we get off the, uh, you know, the airplane, we get the, the rental, we get to Breckenridge. Breckenridge sits really high. We're kind of up in the mountains outside the city. And I take Jen and I to carry on luggage things up the stairs and I make it to the third floor and I literally almost pass out from lack of oxygen, all right? That's how like thin the air was up there. And Jen and I, we hit the ground running and we're hiking. And I just recently was recovering from a broken toe. It's a whole other story. I had my big toe was broken. And, uh, you know, from Virginia, I got some really good hiking shoes. I got Nike Freeze. Anyone remember Nike Freeze? Yeah, just a sock that's attached to a sole. There's actually no protection for your feet or your ankles, okay? That's what I'm hiking in. So Jen and I are huffing and puffing. It's hot out. And, you know, like some of these hikes are pretty pretty severe, but, the, but they're just beautiful. Like if you've ever been hiking there, you'll, you'll hike like five, six, seven miles and you'll just like uh, crest this hill and there's this beautiful glacier lake that's like crystal clear and just like, like, did I just reach heaven? Like what just happened, right? And as we're huffing and puffing and sweating and, and I'm stubbing my broken, I, I did stub my broken toe on uh, some rocks because there's lots of jagged rocks on these hikes. Oh, it's so painful. Um, the people that we would cross, the people who made it to the summit, they see us coming and we're huffing and puffing. The people would come down, every single person, like the first day, it's so weird. Every single person would say, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. That's what they would say. And Jen and I are looking at each other like, do they like, in Colorado, is this like what it means to be a citizen? Like you, they teach you to say that. Like if you made it to the summit, you have to encourage the people who are like, these poor Virginians who are like out of shape and like, you know, like whatever. It's worth it. And I think in our text today, Stephen, who's gone before us, right? Stephen, who's gone before us, he's made it to the summit. He fought the good fight of faith. He, he was persecuted. He gave his life to Jesus. And he, he made it to the summit. He made it to the embrace of Jesus saying, good job, job well done, my good and faithful servant. I think Stephen in this text today would encourage you, Christian, would encourage you and say, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. I don't regret. I think Stephen, if he had a word for us today, he would say, I don't regret a single one of those stones because Jesus was worth it. I wouldn't change a thing. And beholding what I behold now, seeing what I see now, I would realize that it's all worth it. And the call of Stephen to the Sanhedrin is the call to you and I today. He goes, look, behold, as someone who made it to the summit, he's not saying, look what awaits you, but look at who awaits you. He's standing at the finish line, no matter what you're going through, Jesus is, is summoning you, cheering you on, keep putting that one shaky foot in front of the other, it's all going to be worth it. And now ask him, invite him, what are those things in your life, those sins that are so easily entangling you, that are making your journey harder? Jesus is saying, if you love life and you're clinging to all these pots and pans and all these things on your hike, it's gonna be hard. Lay that aside so you can run more freely to me. It's all worth it. That's the encouragement, we fix our gaze. Look and behold, fix our gaze upon Jesus. Because at the end of our lives, any sacrifice, any cost, any move, any trial for the cause of Christ will all be a thousand percent worth it when we shift from this life 
to the next, and we behold his glory, right? When we behold his glory. So our prayer becomes this, and I'll conclude with this. And the band, you can come on up. I was praying last night, and uh, what I'm inviting you into, I was contending in prayer in my own heart, uh, not for this sermon, but just saying, Lord, where, where are my no's? Where do you have my no, not my yes? And that's a difficult prayer to pray. I was contending, I was playing worship music. And as I'm contending, as I'm praying, uh, I was listening to this song that came up on my Spotify, my headphones, and the lyric was this, and I feel like I just want to conclude with this. This is our prayer. For the one who gave me life, nothing is a sacrifice. Use me how you want to, God. Have your throne within my heart. For the one who gave me life, nothing is a sacrifice. So let's do that. Let's go to our King Jesus, the one who laid everything down for us. And let's just respond. Respond to his invitation to lay everything down at his feet and receive true and eternal life in him today. Fresh repentance, fresh forgiveness, fresh endurance and encouragement to fight the good fight of faith. I'll give you a moment to do that. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you've gone before us. You suffered and died in our place, obedient to the Father. Thank you for the nails. Thank you for the scars. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the salvation that is found in you. Thank you for your love and compassion. I pray, Holy Spirit, Oh, that everyone, the sound of my voice, would know the compassion that Jesus has for them. That the invitation to come and die but to find life in Jesus is an invitation of compassion, an invitation of love. For those who have not yielded yet, Jesus, to you, who have not given you their yes, oh, would today be the day of great rejoicing in heaven. Would they see you rightly, not as condemning, but as inviting to everlasting life to let go, let go of all the trifles of this transient world and to cling to what is eternal, to the very robe of the Savior of the world, God. Thank you for the forgiveness and the life that's in you, Jesus. Give us eyes to see and give us power to grasp and comprehend the heights and the lengths and the depths and the width of the love that you have for us, Jesus. And as we encounter more of the depths of your love, may we loosen the grip of idols today, God. I have no interest in giving a good sermon, Lord Jesus, and you don't either. <laughs> you, want, you want the hearts of your people. That's what you want, Jesus. That's why you died. You don't need our, our church attendance. You don't need our our tribal, you need our hearts. That's why you die, because you love us and you want our hearts. So may you receive hearts today, repentant hearts. Oh, Jesus. 
We, we, we posture our hearts, God. How else could we respond to you, Jesus? You saved us. You came running for us. You've rescued us. Have our house. Have our wealth. Have our retirement. Have it all. We are not our own. Jesus, you purchased us with your blood. So we gladly, with celebration and a smile on our face, say, send us where you want to send us. Wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to say, we yield to you today. Holy Spirit, come bring that about in our hearts today. That's what you're after, Jesus. That's what you're after, Jesus. And may we see what Stephen saw. May we see what Stephen saw. You at the finish line standing, arms open wide, ready to embrace us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.